It's such a joy to be with you this morning uh, and this weekend. Um, and I kind of feel like the, the guy who invited himself over to dinner. I mean, the way you describe it, hey, can I come dinner at your house? Great. Um, but he's right in that I do pray for you all and prayed for you for years. And he's right that uh, I did want to come and see uh, you. Uh, because, I'll jump ahead of my notes here, in Sovereign Grace, we're not just like a, um, <clears throat> a denomination, you know, where you barely know people, and yeah, we're just, we all sign on the dotted line, it's good, we're good to go. We're friends. And, uh, you know, I don't consider Kyle a ministerial associate. Uh, I consider him a friend, and, and Kyle and Debbie have been in our house, and I've been in their house, and um, it's, it's what God intends for his people, that, that we gather around a common vision, a common mission. Well, we gather around the gospel. That's, that's what binds us together. And we, we gather around a commitment to the authority of God's word. And we, we gather around a, a belief that when we gather, God himself is present with us. It's not just a bunch of people meeting together. God is with us through his spirit. And so those values and more, we share and we want to link arms together and say, let's do this together. Let's support each other in prayer. Let's support each other in friendship and counsel and encouragement. Let's do this. And so to be here, when I'm in a Sovereign Grace church, I always, I, I always wish God could like, let me be in two places at once when I have to speak somewhere else on a Sunday morning or be somewhere else. But he, does, he hasn't let me do that yet, so I don't think he's going to. But I, I, as much as I, I wish I was home with my church and my family, but I love being here. I feel like I'm home. You know, when, when we sing and I, when I talk to people, there's that same, that joyful servanthood because people are aware of what Jesus has done for them. And so it is a real honor to be here and a special honor to, to, have, to see Gene and Susan. Gene, I don't think I've seen you in probably 40 years, 38 years. You're looking sharp as ever, a little shorter than you used to be, but... Um, <laughs> But I know that's what happens. I know. I'm expecting it to happen to me too. So, um, and I prayed for Kyle for years as Gene Huber. Uh, I have my prayer list as Gene Huber. That when I finally realized that, I said, well, the Lord knows who I'm praying for. So it, but you got a lot of prayers unintentionally. So, uh, I bring you greetings from Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville, where I'm one of seven elders who work with C.J. Mahaney, serve with C.J. Mahaney, and it's a joy. We are five years into a church plant, and God's given us many uh, gospel partnerships and opportunities for gospel ministry in that town. Uh, my real job is director of Sovereign Grace Music. That's what I've been doing for 20 years. We, I train leaders, I train songwriters, and uh, help produce songs. Um, our mission statement is to produce Christ-exalting songs and training for local churches from local churches. That's what we do. Uh, we uh, recently released a live album, Prayers of the Saints, which we sang one of the songs this morning, Jesus, There's No One Like You. Released our fifth kids album. If you, have, if you know or have kids between 5 and 12, these albums are for them, and that's some of my favorite things to do. I, I told Antoinette this morning, uh, we are working on a live black gospel album, which we are partnering with Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, who's just a dear friend, a man of God, and um, we're just going to join with their church September 21st and do a live album, which is going to be a little different for Sovereign Grace Music. 
Um, but it's going to be really special, and we can't wait for that. So that's some of the stuff I do. Um, so we should probably uh, get into the message at some point. Um, but thank you. Thank you for letting me come, and uh, thank you for many special memories. Uh, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 3, in the New Testament, right after Philippians, someone told me General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, so it's right there after Philippians, and um, we are going to be spending our time in verses 12 through 17 this morning, focusing on verses 16 and 17. You don't have to be very observant to realize that people like to sing. We sing. We're, every culture, they, they have songs. We sing at weddings, we sing at funerals, we sing at parties, we sing at sporting events, we sing in choirs, we sing in the shower, we sing in the car, singing all around us. You have these uh, programs, you know, The Voice, American Idol, people, everybody likes to sing, but Christians especially like to sing. And whether it's a modern worship song or a traditional hymn, whether it's a chorale or a chorus, Christians, when they get together, they tend to sing. But what we're going to see this morning, what I hope we see this morning, is that when Christians gather to sing, it's different from every other kind of singing. And God wants us to get in on the good of that. He doesn't want to take this time for granted. He wants us to understand how significant this is. Daniel Levitin is a scientist and a musician who wrote a book called This Is Your Brain on Music. I just was so attracted to the title. This Is Your Brain on Music. In it, he tries to describe why music plays a such, such a significant part in our lives. One of the chapters is called My Favorite Things, and in it, he talks about why we like the music we do. And there I learned that in our first year, as an infant, we prefer music that we were exposed to when we were in the womb. So babies in the womb can hear music, and that's the kind of music they like, they're drawn to initially. By age two, we're starting to be influenced by the music of our culture. So a child in Mumbai, India is going to like different music than a child in Moscow, Russia, or a child in two-year-old in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Because they're, they're going to be listening to the music of their culture. We like simple music at first. But then we get tired of that and we start to want music that's more complicated. When we hit our teen years, our hormones assign exaggerated significance to everything, which is why, even in my 60s, I like the music. I still like the music I liked when I was a teenager. And I've heard a lot of music in between then and now, but when my wife are on dates, which is every Monday night, we will often listen to music from the 70s which is when I was in high school. It's just fascinating. Well, you don't have to be an expert in music or have a degree in music, which I do, piano performance major, to know what kind of music you like and have, to ve and have very strong opinions about it. We can tend, some of us, to have very strong opinions about the kind of music we like or we don't like. And we bring those preferences into the church, into Sunday morning. And some of us only like to sing songs by certain artists. Some of us only like to sing songs that are fast and have drums and rocket. And others of us like to sing songs with none of those things. We just like just soft music, piano maybe, and maybe an organ, but we don't have one. So, but Phil could probably work it out on the synth if we needed it. Uh, some of us like songs with a lot of words. Some of us like songs says, say we can't worship unless the song has very little words. 
Have you ever stopped to ask the question, what kind of music does God like? That's the most important question. And one of my fears over the years has been that, you know, I'm going to get to heaven by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and find out that God's favorite music is opera. (laughs) Which I know we have some opera aficionados in this room. And that's nothing against opera. It's just I think there's some great moments in opera. Just a few of them, though. And there, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, what, what is God like about music? How does God think about the music we use? Does he, does he like it? Is there a purpose that God has for our singing that we might be missing? And why, why worship God in song at all? Like, why don't we just come together and recite things? You know, say things together. Well, rather than try to answer that question from our own preferences or by taking a poll, we're going to go to the Word of God, which is our only authority in this and every area. Now, before we read the passage, I just want to set a little context. One of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter, because the people in the church in Colossae had some false teachers among them. And those false teachers were trying to add things to Christ, thereby taking away from Christ. You can't add anything to Jesus and make him better. So he was concerned for that. He wanted to bring, wanted to make it clear for them who Jesus was and what the gospel is. So the gospel is all over this book. He begins in chapter 1 by saying that Jesus has reconciled a people and all things to God through his blood shed on the cross. We were at enmity with God because of our sin in the Garden of Eden. God was against us and opposed to us. We were objects of his wrath. And Jesus came and took that wrath for us. That's what he makes clear in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he says we're to be rooted in Christ, but we're also to walk in Christ and be built up in Christ. He's directing them to Christ. You can't get deeper than Christ. Chapter 3, he says we've been raised up with Christ, and now he's our life. And so having laid that foundation, he moves into what it looks like to live a Christ-centered, gospel-driven life in the midst of a pagan culture, in the midst of a culture that laughs at our values and our teachings, in the midst of a culture that opposes and objects to what we consider most precious and true and authoritative. Well, that's our culture. That's what we're living in now. And in the midst of that, he talks about music, talks about singing. And what we're going to see this morning, this is the big idea of what I'm going to say, we worship God together in song to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel. That's why we do it. We worship God together in song to deepen, to make richer the relationships that we enjoy through the gospel. That's relationships with God and relationships with each other. Singing is meant to be more than a warm-up for the sermon. I know churches, that's what they do. They do your music thing, but then we get to the Word. Well, I think the preaching of the Word is the most important part of the meeting. But we want to have the Word in all the parts of the meeting, not just the preaching. Singing is meant to be more than a means of drawing crowds. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ who is meant to draw people to himself, not our music. Singing is meant to be more than a highly charged emotional, personal experience. Or we just are looking for some kind of goosebumps as we sing. Singing, the, the music we do is meant to be more than a platform for frustrated musicians who can't get a gig on Saturday night. So they say, well, at least I can play on Sunday. 
That's not why we have music in the church. Singing is meant to deepen the relationships we enjoy through the gospel. So let's see how that works itself out. I'm going to be reading from the Word of God, starting in chapter 3, book of Colossians, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, here's where the gospel comes in, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See how interrelational this is, everything he's saying. He's talking about your life together, our life together. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's life to us. It's not just rules. It speaks of your relationship that you desire with us. And it's all because of Jesus, what he's done. It's all because of his glory that you want to see us enjoy and give him. So we pray you'd open our ears, open our hearts to hear what you'd have to say to us this morning. It may affect not only the way we sing, but the way we live. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We are going to see at least three reasons. I think there are at least three reasons why that Paul makes clear why we sing together. Here's the first one. God wants us to worship him together in song to impress the gospel of Christ on our minds. To impress the gospel of Christ on our minds. That's what we we see in verse 16. We're going to be focusing on verse 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ, the word of Christ, dwell in you richly. Then he says, teaching and admonishing one another. Have you ever thought of singing as teaching and admonishing? We're going to talk more about that in a moment. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The word of Christ is the word about Christ. It's the gospel. It's to to which the entire word of God points. It's the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, has left his throne in glory to take on human flesh, to live a perfect life, so that he could bear the sins of all those who would ever trust in him, so that he could endure the wrath of God in their place as their substitute and rise from the dead and one day return from his Father's right hand to to be with his bride forever. That's what the word of Christ is. Here's how one theologian put it, Everett Ferguson, the relationship of Christ and our singing. Christ is the ground and the content of Christian song. Christians sing about Christ. If they sing about God, it is especially 
what God has done through Christ. If about the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit as the gift of Christ. And I would say as the one who points to Christ. If about instruction to one another, it is the life in Christ. So Paul says when we're singing, we are teaching and admonishing one another. That's a mental activity. That's a horizontal activity. It's the, the horizontal element of our singing. Teaching and admonishing as we sing enables the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And what does that mean, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly? Well, I think of when I'm walking through a mall and I start to smell something and it is yeasty, and it is doughy, and it's sugary, and it's cinnamony, and it's a Cinnabon. I know that smell, and I'm walking down the hall, and then I find myself in front of the Cinnabon. And I, here's what I'm thinking. As, that, as delightful and enjoyable and as wonderful as that smell is, I really want that Cinnabon dwelling in me richly. That, that's what I, I know that's a different experience. Likewise, it's a different experience. We come to this room and we hear people singing and we just, we just kind of smell the gospel. Now that's delightful, but it's not dwelling in us richly. Paul's readers would have understood him to mean that that gospel of Christ should dwell in you in such a way that it, that it affects the way you think. It, it changes the way you make decisions. It influences your desires. It changes your life. That's what it means for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. So, so why does he bring up music? How, how does music do that? How does singing in particular do that? Well, one, singing helps us think and remember words. Think about and remember words. Scientists have, have been researching this for a number of years now, but music helps us recognize and categorize and memorize patterns better than words alone. So it's why people get paid thousands of dollars to write jingles that stay in your head, some commercial jingle. It's why my mother-in-law, who before she died had dementia, she didn't know who I was, but she could sing songs that she learned as a child. It's why in Deuteronomy 31, as the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, God told Moses, my people are going to commit, they're going to turn to idols when they get into the promised land. So I want you to teach them a song so that when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. We tend not to forget songs and the words accompanying those songs. It's why before people knew how to read or write, poems and music were used for significant events like covenant promises and blessings and treaties and prophecies to help people remember what was being said. They attached it to music. Now singing also helps us get the word of Christ in our minds because it helps us to, to think about words in a different way. It stretches out words, makes them longer. So I could say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Or I could say, amazing grace, how sweet 
the sound that saved a wretch like me. Isn't that interesting how we just pause on that word me to remind us that I'm the wretch. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It helps, it helps our minds process all that. It helps us, singing helps us think about the words by, by putting spaces between them. I once was lost, but in darkest night, but thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. Singing helps us repeat words and phrases without sounding like morons. If I talked, if I talked to you like this, to you like this, you would think, you would think, I have a real, I have a real problem problem. <laughs> but when we sing it, it doesn't sound that way. It is well, it is well, with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well, with my soul. And we sing that chorus three times and four times if you repeat it. And no one's looking around going, this is so dumb. Why are we repeating this? What's going on? Well, singing's helping us repeat it and enjoy it so that it gets into our minds. That's how singing impresses the gospel of Christ on our minds. That's why it says it's, we want the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, which is different from musical experiences dwelling in us richly or the music dwelling in us richly. You know, Jesus is the word of God. He's not the tune of God. So let me, let me show you what I mean. Music by itself can affect us. Music can, can say things to us, can communicate things to us. So when I play this, What emotion does that convey to you? This is congregation participation time. Anybody? Peace, exactly. Good. That's right. That's exactly right. what I was trying to communicate. But you have no idea why I'm peaceful. You don't know. It's just this generic peace. And it's nice. It's peace. But there, we have something better than that. Jesus brought us peace with God through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead. And that can't communicate that. All that communicates is a feeling, an emotion. That's why God wants the word of Christ to dwell in us, not just the melodies of Christ. It's the word of Christ that's to dwell in us richly. That's why we're teaching and admonishing one another. We're not just having a good time. And it is a good time. I love to sing. A lot of people like to sing, but we're not just having a good time. We're addressing one another, Ephesians 5 says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, teaching and admonishing takes place in other parts of the of meeting. You know, we can talk to each other. I'm, I'm teaching and admonishing you right now. But, 
but the fact that we're teaching and admonishing when we sing means that the words that we sing matter. They're teaching. They're admonishing. So we were doing that this morning. This is amazing grace. I don't think this is so amazing. This is unfailing love. I'm not sure God loves me. That he would take my place. That he would bear my cross. Come on, brother and sister, you can believe that. It's true. It's true. That's what we're doing. We're teaching and admonishing one another. It's, it's one of the reasons I look around when I sing. You know, some of us think like the ultimate worship pose is this. You know, it's not. I mean, you might be worshiping the Lord. You might not. You might just get in some good shut-eye. I mean, you, you might be um, just trying to just close out everything. But we're together. We're together. We're speaking to one another. We're addressing one another. We're, we're teaching and admonishing each other. So that's, that's what's happening. So that the word of Christ can dwell in us richly. That's why we often sing songs with a lot of words. You know, sometimes people say, why do you guys in Song Grace Music write songs with so many words? I say, God's a big God. He, he needs a lot of words to describe him. I mean, we got this book that's, that's God's revelation of himself. It's not like, you know, a five-page, like, little thing. It's 66 books because God has a lot of things he wants to say to us. And we're reminding each other of those things when we sing. That doesn't mean you can't sing simple songs, but it does mean that God's glory and his awesomeness can't be summed up in a three-minute pop song. We need words. So when we are singing, we are impressing the gospel of Christ on our minds. And our responsibility as worshipers is to listen to the words, is to focus on the words. One thing I'll do when I look up at the screen, I'll look at it and then look away. So just, you know, look at it, memorize it, and then just look away. So I'm not just kind of, call it ODD, overhead dependency disorder. It's just, okay, yeah. No, no, I want, I want to get those words in here. That's what I want to do. So we're responsible. So singing together encourages, deepens our relationship with God and with each other by impressing the gospel of Christ on our minds. Here's point two. It impresses the gospel of Christ on our hearts, not surprisingly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts, to God. We're not just giving him lip service. We're not doing PR for Jesus. Look at all the people Jesus has singing for him. Isn't that amazing? It's from our hearts. We have thankfulness in our hearts. Why? Singing is an emotional event, an educational event, but it's also an emotional event. Why? Because we're singing about the word of Christ. We're singing about the gospel of Christ. We're singing about what Jesus has done to save us, to redeem us, to purchase us, to rescue us. And yeah, yeah, that should make us thankful. Goodness, yes, it should make us thankful. <clears throat> that, that phrase, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, some have translated in grace, singing in your hearts to God. In other words, because we've received grace, we sing. So one theologian writes, thus the focus is not so much on our attitude toward God as we sing, but on our awareness of his attitude toward us that prompts such singing in the first place. What do you think about what God thinks about you? How do you perceive 
his thoughts toward you. Do you think God kind of puts up with you? Just, you know, whenever you pray, you're always thinking, oh man, I got to, this ain't going to be good. I've been doing very well. You know, a lot of Christians live with that mindset. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ to pay for your sins, you believe he is the Lord of lords, God loves you as much as he loves his own son. And he's been doing that for eternity. And it's not with exceptions. It's not with buts. Yeah, I do, but... No, if we're in Christ, God loves us with an eternal, unchanging, steadfast, undefiled, undefiled, never-fading love. That sets you singing. That puts thankfulness in your heart. So singing works two ways with our emotions, with our hearts. First, it expresses what's there. So we don't come in here hoping that, you know, the band will get us pumped up for worship. We come in here worshiping. We come in here thankful. That's what we want to do. That's why John Piper says, the reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotions that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms or even poetic readings. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry, and some demand that poetry be stretched into song. It's why lovers will write poems for each other. That is such a sweet evidence of of someone's affection. They write poems. Even more, people will write songs. That's what I used to do in high school. I used to write songs for girls so they could go out with me. It worked. It really did work. Uh, but because it expresses something more deeply. It's why we have musicals. Musicals continue to you know, accept, or be popular. But you never see that in real life. I'm talking to you, I'm having a conversation, then suddenly I break into a song because what I'm saying to you means so much to me. No one ever does that, hopefully. But in a musical, it makes sense. Why? Because they want to capture an emotion. And they want to expound on it. So it expresses that. It's one way singing is used in our gathering. Here's another way. It's a means of stirring up our affections and encouraging our affections. You know, when we walk into a Sunday meeting, we're not all thinking, I am so thankful. I am just so grateful to be with the people of God. Now, I know there are a lot of you like that, but we're not like that every Sunday. And maybe some of us are never like that. And so God says, sing, sing. I want you to know this. I want you to know what I've done for you. I want you to feel the truth of what I've done for you. So Jonathan Edwards, American theologian in the 18th century, says, the duty of singing praises to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music, except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. So we can be moved by the singing we're doing. You know, and that means singing. That, you know, if we're sitting here like this, 
expecting to be moved. Okay, I dare you, God, to do anything to me. That, that's, that's, you're going to just end up like this. But if you start to sing, you start to hear people around you singing, that very likely, because of the Spirit's work in our hearts, will affect you and impress the gospel of Christ on your heart. Now, Paul says we're supposed to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What does that mean? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Well, a lot of commentaries on this, and no one really knows what it means. It could mean psalms of the Old Testament, hymns to Christ that were written at the time of the New Testament, and then spiritual songs, which are more spontaneous, you know, snatches of melody to the Lord. I could go with that, but we're not sure. One thing we can say is that it implies a lyrical and musical diversity. So why is that? Well, there's no one kind of song that can fully capture God's glory. Really, there, there, there's, there's a celebration that we should express to God that he's worthy of that just won't be found in a stately hymnal. And there is an awe and a reverence and a, a glory and a majesty that won't be found in a three-minute pop song. We need both. We should have both. And also, the appropriate expressions to God for who he is and what he's done, they can't be summed up in one song, one kind of song. You, just, you need a lot of different kinds of songs. So that's, that's, what, that's what we're to pursue. The main point is that when it comes to singing, we want to express that gratefulness in as many ways as we can. That's what we're trying to do. And it's with thankfulness in your hearts. Thankfulness. Many kinds of emotions that music helps us express. There are songs for lament. There are songs of faith. There are songs of just marveling at God's greatness and glory. But the prominent, the most predominant emotion that we are to express on this side of the cross and resurrection is thankfulness. It's thankfulness. Because Christians should be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Because of what we know. Because of what Jesus has done. Come on. The greatest problem we had, which was being God's enemies, it's been solved. It's, it's been answered. The greatest, greatest question, how do we get to God? It's been answered. Jesus came and, and lived a perfect life that we could never live so we could, his righteousness could be imputed to us. He died a death that we would have to die, separated from God, but we don't have to go through that because he was. Now we can be his children forever. Oh, doesn't that make you thankful? Well, that's what singing helps us do. It helps us express that, and it's thankfulness in our hearts. Now what that means, when the Bible uses the word heart, it's not just talking about in here. We're singing with thankfulness in my hearts. I'm really thankful. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. Inside, I am jumping up and down. Outside, you can't see it, I know, but it's in my heart. That's not what it means. Your heart is your whole being. It's your whole being. And when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, if you're an Eagles fan, you weren't saying, I'm just excited in my heart. <laughs> the fans at the stadium were not just all sitting down. No, don't get up. And they didn't have to be told what to do. Hey, why don't you stand up now, give some guys some high fives, and just shout. That's, that's what you need to do. You don't have to tell me to do that. The Eagles just won the Super Bowl. 
That's, I'm excited. Okay, here's what's happening on Sunday morning. We're reminding ourselves that all the powers of hell that sought to destroy us and consume us were crushed under the feet of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. That's what happened. If we know that, and if we believe that, if that's, that's, he, we recognize that Jesus is who he said he was, man, that's a victory to celebrate. That is, yes, it's worth celebrating. Goodness gracious. What are we thinking? So, so Psalm, Psalm 34, verse 5, someone asked me this reference earlier. Psalm 34, verse 5, says this. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who look to him are radiant. If you saw a video of you singing, would someone say, oh yeah, you're radiant? Or would they say, uh, what are they thinking about? It doesn't seem like they're thinking about what they're singing. That's the point. The word of Christ is dwelling us richly. Press the gospel on our minds and in our hearts. So it extends to our bodies, you know. You, you may be thinking, oh, he's just an extrovert. He's just like this all the time. No, here's what I think. I think whatever your level of emotional engagement and physical expressiveness is outside this meeting, like when you get excited about something, what do you do? It might be, ah, okay, that's good. That's fine. Or it might be, oh, that's great. That might be like the top level for you. When you come in here to remember what Christ has done and who he is, how glorious he is, you want to bump that up a few notches. Because no one's like him. <laughs> no. Jesus, there's no one like you. These aren't just words. That's the truth. And the reason we don't recognize it as the truth is because we think so many other things are greater. My relationship. How much money I have. My house. My computer. My education. My job. My pleasure. Everything good comes from the Father of lights. And all this goodness here is just pointing to him, saying he's the source. That's why we're thankful, because he has brought us near to himself. So singing helps us put mind and heart together. What we know with what we feel, doctrine and devotion, intellect and emotion. God intends singing to impress the gospel on our minds and our hearts. Point number three, we sing together to impress the gospel of Christ on our lives. On our lives, the way we live. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks there's that word, thanks, again. That, in that passage, thankfulness is mentioned three times. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul makes it clear that the word of Christ, the gospel, isn't something that we're just to sing about. It's meant to affect the way we live. We're to do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, how, how does that happen? How does singing affect the way we live? Three ways it affects the way we live. Singing deepens our unity in Christ. It gives a, a visual evidence of it. We can sing on our own. That's good. It's right to sing on our own. 
But singing together expresses our unity in the gospel. It says we're, we're together. We are one. We're a family. We're not one because we like the same kind of music. I can guarantee you if we did a music poll that we would like a lot of different kinds of music. That's not why we sing together. We sing together because the blood of Jesus Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And we can actually say we are one in Christ. He's destroyed the hatred and the barriers and the, the disconnectedness. He's brought us together. Our singing gives expression to that. And we should celebrate that. Because there are a lot of things that people are gathering around saying they're one. You know, see them on Twitter. Hashtag whatever. We say hashtag Jesus Christ. Hashtag the gospel. We are one because of who he is and what he's done. And singing helps express that. You know, when you sing, we tend to breathe together. We say the same words together, same inflections together. That's an expression of our unity in Christ. Here's another way singing helps the gospel of Christ be affected on our lives. It tells us what life is all about. It reminds us of what life is all about. Doing, it's about doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means seeing everything in light of what he's done on the cross. So we come in, we're, we, we come in all week, we've just been pressed down with guilt, with condemnation, struggling with this feeling that we don't measure up. Has that been anybody's experience? You don't have to raise your hand. You come in and we start singing. This is amazing grace. This is amazing love. <laughs> that you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life so I could be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing of all you've done for me. Another song we sing is, When Satan tempts me to despair And tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see him there Who made an end of all my sin. That's what he did. That's we're reminding each other what life is about. You're going through a time of suffering. Chronic pain, confusion, disorder in your life, and it's just ongoing. We remind each other that there's nothing in our lives that, that has no purpose or meaning. If, if we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, no guilt in life, no fear in death. We sang this this morning. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry. For me, it happened just four miles over there. My first cry. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. That's true. We're teaching each other. We're admonishing each other. Look, you may have just found out you had cancer. We were prayed for the couple whose grandson died. That's suffering. That's hardship. And we can grieve, and we should grieve. But we should all keep in view that there is a sovereign God who watches every detail of our lives. He is over every detail of our lives. He's working out a purpose. He's working out a plan for our good and for his glory. That's what we remind ourselves of when we gather together, when we sing, so that we can live in light of the gospel. Finally, singing together prepares us not only for this life, but for the life to come. 
is preparing us for the life to come. Singing together is one of the clearest foretastes of the powerful, glorious, unending songs being sung around the throne. Now, the new heavens and the new earth, it's not just going to be singing for like eternity. But there's going to be a lot of singing. So get ready for it. There'll be a lot of singing. And our singing now is a foretaste of that. It's preparation for that. But, but it's different because we're limited here. We're limited in time. We're limited in understanding. We're limited in strength. You know, this meeting's going to end. We can't keep doing this. We don't understand everything we could about God. And we don't have enough strength to do it. You know, we just get tired. But when Jesus comes back, all that's going to change. I don't know if we use calendars or not. I don't know if we'll have watches. Maybe. I don't know. All I know is it's going to be forever. Forever. So we, don't, we won't run out of time. We'll have glorified bodies, which will be stronger. And, you know, we'll be able to raise our hands for like days. Some of us will raise our hands for the first time. It'll be great. It'll be amazing. We'll finally see it. Yes, this is why you're so glorious. That's why my body should show it. And we'll have clearer minds. We'll see God. We'll see him as he really is. Now, thinking about that is healthy and wholesome and good and right. Because that's where we're headed. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed at the, at the coming of Christ. It's going to be so much grace. It talks about in Ephesians like immeasurable riches of grace. How much grace is that? That's a lot. It's immeasurable. So what's that going to be like when we're the final, we're there, and we're singing with the throngs of heaven? Randy Alcorn, an author, is has written a lot about heaven, and he gives us an idea of what it's going to be like in his book, Edge of Eternity. And because our singing reflects the singing around the throne, it benefits us to set our minds on what lies ahead. So I'm going to read just a little portion of his book, and then we're going to sing a song. I think it'd be very appropriate for us to sing a song at the end of the message. So just picture this. You might want to close your eyes for this. The army began to sing, perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps a million. I I added my voice to theirs and sang the unchained praises of the king. Only for a moment did I hear my own voice, amazed to detect the increased intensity of the whole. One voice, even mine, made a measurable difference. But from then on, I was lost in the choir, hardly hearing my voice and not needing to. Our voices broke into 32 distinct parts, and instinctively, I knew which of them I was made to sing. It felt indescribably wonderful to be lost in something so much greater than myself. There was no audience, I thought for a moment, for audience and orchestra and choir all blended into one great symphony. No, wait. There was an audience. An audience so vast and all-encompassing that for a moment I'd been no more aware of it than a fish is aware of water. I looked at the great throne And upon it sat the king, the audience of one. And the smile of his approval swept through the choir like fire across dry wheat fields. When we completed our song, the one on the throne stood and raised his great arms and clapped his scarred hands together in thunderous applause shaking ground and sky, jarring every corner of the cosmos. 
His applause went on and on, unstopping and unstoppable. And in that moment, I knew with unwavering clarity that the king's approval was all that mattered and ever would. The king's approval is all that matters and ever will. You know, when we gather together to sing, it's not about what we think of each other. It's about what God thinks of us and our response to him. But we sing for the pleasure and honor and glory of Jesus Christ, who has given us a reason to sing. And as the word of Christ dwells richly in our minds and in our hearts, the relationships that we enjoy with God and with each other are deepened. So that means worshiping God in song isn't just something for the musically gifted or the musically trained. It's for every Christian. Question isn't, you know, has God given me a voice? The question is, has God given me a song? And if you're among those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and that his death alone was sufficient to cover the cost of all your sins and that through his life, death, and resurrection, you have been brought near to God and you're his child and you are looking forward, no matter what happens in this life, you're looking forward to an eternity of eternal joys and pleasures at his right hand, I'd say you have a song to sing. And it may not sound like the most amazing voice. It doesn't have to, because God hears it as though Jesus himself were singing. It's perfected by his work. So let's not waste these moments when we gather together, you know, on Sundays particularly, but it could be any time. Let's not waste them. We're getting prepared. We're getting prepared for that time when we just won't be able to help singing. I just want to be ready for that. I don't want to come as a shock. Oh, sing it again. No, I want to sing because Jesus is so glorious and he's so good. He's so kind. He's so merciful. He's so awesome. And I use that word the way it should be used. Jesus is awesome. Let our songs and our hearts and our bodies and our lives reflect that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us a song to sing. For every believer in Christ, you've given us a song to sing, and it's one we're going to be singing for eternity. We don't want to be among those who are just watching, who are sitting around, just spectating. We want to be in on that song because you've given it to us through Jesus Christ. We have a reason to sing and we want to sing with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because you're worthy, because you are great, you're glorious, you're good. And Jesus Christ has rescued us from our sin, from the devil, from the grave, and we have life in you. So may our songs be filled with your spirit as we lift them up to you.
both now and always. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.